talking about storms today, as you can see. Now, uh, some notes, I want you to turn to the Gospel of John and turn to John chapter 6. And uh, we're talking about storms. Now, storms are distressing on land. I remember when uh, the Glottfeld, oh, there's the whole Glottfeldy clan. Let's wave at them. They're all there. Good to have the boys in town. And uh, when was that tornado? Because I know you guys would remember. When did the tornado pierce Audra's bedroom? 2003. Hard to believe it's been that long. 2004. Okay, remember that? It was on a Wednesday night. And we were, we, uh, do what? Or Sunday night, Sunday night, and I we had Sunday night services, and uh, I was preaching, and and it was like going crazy and sirens. And I, Gwen's calling me, and and she's worried, and rightfully so. And she's like, I don't know, it's it's looking black and everything. I said, Oh, it'll be fine, and you know, go down in the basement, it'll be fine. Then and then the phone died. And I'm like, well, I guess it will be fine. I don't know. I don't know what will happen. But uh, storms on, on land are distressing, but storms at sea are even more distressing. And, of course, those of us that went to Barbuda, Aaron, know how real that is. And you know we took that ferry to Barbuda, and it was just, I mean, I never now read these stories like what we're going to read today the same after having that experience. In fact, uh, the movie, how many have seen the movie Captain Phillips? Okay, that was on TV today and just happened to catch that wonderful scene where they're in that lifeboat that looks like a vitamin or a little bullet and, uh, and the Coast Guard's racing around it to make the waves uh, rocky and they're, having, they're filming that inside that little boat. And I'm like, now Gwen, the bathroom that I was in, that was the experience. It was, it was oh, it was horrible. Except they didn't have lasagna everywhere, did they, Aaron? And so storms at sea are just horrible. So if you've ever been seasick, uh, that is not an experience you want to go through. But storms on the Sea of Galilee are especially distressing. And so let's look at John chapter 6, because that's the whole uh, focal point of our lesson today. John chapter 6, let's look at verses 16 through 21. Of course, this happens in the middle of the feeding of the 5,000, which had just taken place. And so let's take a look at it. John chapter 6, verse 16. Now, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. And after getting into the boat, they started across the sea to Capernaum. It had already become dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea began to be stirred up because a strong wind was blowing. Then, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, or literally, I am. Do not be afraid. So they were willing to receive him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Man, I wish there, there's, the, there's like five miracles in here, but only two are emphasized, but I like that last one. Immediately they were at land, because man, I'm telling you, when the sea is rocky and the waters are going, all you're thinking is, when are we going to hit shore? When are, does, do you see land? And so uh, the Sea of Galilee was the geographic and strategic center of Jesus' life and ministry. I like this little picture. Uh, some of the placements are not totally accurate on it, but at least gives you the idea of how important the Sea of Galilee, which literally was a lake, but that's how they refer to it as a sea, and it certainly the storms were of such a nature that they equaled 
uh, a storm at sea. But you can see on this that uh, his hometown was Capernaum, which is here. And uh, his uh, core disciples were from Bethsaida, which is up here. Uh, He called his core disciples to leave their nets uh, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. He, uh, 10 out of 33, 10 out of 33 of the miracles that Jesus uh, had uh, performed that are recorded in the Gospels were performed either on the Sea of Galilee or around its shores. And he cursed three of its city, cities for seeing the signs but not trusting him as their sovereign savior. These three cities, Bethsaida, Capernaum, and this, uh, uh, the third one here up north are the cities that he cursed because he performed so many miracles there. And it really reminds us of the lesson that we're learning in this whole series, and that is believe in miracles, but trust in Jesus. And they saw the miracles, but they refused to trust in Jesus. And there's consequences to not trusting in Jesus. He cursed these areas. In fact, our brother from Israel will probably give us a better uh, uh, report on this, but from what I read, these cities and this area is just devastated now. This was high. High commerce, high traffic. It was the crossroads of trade, but now it's desolate and barren and really of little importance to anyone other than the followers of Jesus. Now, the reason the storms were so uh, uh, great in this area is this is all high elevation all the way around here, and yet the Sea of Galilee is way below sea level. So you had the cold air coming down off the mountains, rushing down, hitting the tropical-type environment around the lake, and just the the storms are tremendous. And they can pop up suddenly, and they are terrifying, and they are indeed distressing. Now, the sign of the stormy sea... The sign on the stormy sea that we're reading about uh, is very interesting. It's recorded in two other Gospels. So there's three accounts of this in the Gospels. Uh, John's account is the shortest with the least commentary. It happened, and it's the shortest. Matthew's account is the only one to include Peter walking on water. I think it's amazing. Recorded three times, yet... Uh, Peter walking on water took place at this in this miracle. You would never know it from reading John's account or from reading um, uh, uh, Mark's account. Now, in Mark's account is the only one to link, link this miracle directly to the feeding of the 5,000. And we'll see that several times in this lesson. Matthew's account is the only one to specifically spell out the, the significance of this sign. What's interesting about the story we read from John is it just kind of happened, and he doesn't tell us how the disciples responded. And I think part of the reason is what we've seen in John's gospel is we're, faith is a journey in this gospel. It's a discovery process. And so John's not spelling things out directly. Now, this is not the same miracle as Jesus calming the storm after being asleep in the boat. Remember that miracle? And so sometimes it's hard, you know, so at least twice in the three and a half years of his ministry, at least twice the disciples and him had storms on the Sea of Galilee. So that tells you how common this was, how dangerous it was, and how frequent. But definitely what we see in this miracle is that uh, Jesus' ministry took 
part in this area. Now, what's interesting is they have discovered a first century fishing boat that is, and they often call it the Jesus boat because it's so similar to what he and the disciples most likely uh, uh, were in. And Bill, you'll appreciate this. Here's a school bus and here's the boat. So it's about 10 feet uh, smaller, 10 feet smaller than a uh, school bus, about the size of a UPS truck, okay? And it took at least uh, approximately five men to uh, run that boat and to fish on that boat, which is exactly what you, you got James and John and Peter and his dad. You have those guys. And yet as many as 15 men could easily travel in that boat, which, of course, the 12 with Jesus would have been 13. So it's kind of interesting. So there it is. They found it on the Sea of Galilee. And so it just shows you that what we're looking at, it's historical, it's valid, it's real. So let's look at a little bit of the background of this uh, miracle there in John chapter 6. Because as we've seen in this study, if you don't get the background, you don't understand the context. So let's take a look at it. Uh, The background of the fifth sign, Jesus walking on water. When did this occur? Well, look at verses 16 through 19. We have tons of timing indicators. And they all add up to one thing. The time that this occurred was a distressing time. A distressing time. Why is that? Jesus had dismissed the crowds after they had tried to make him king by force because he had fed over 20,000 people. Then he went alone up to the higher hill country on a mountain that overlooked the sea. And I told you, it's surrounded by mountains. And according to John chapter 6, when you look at verse 16, it was evening. And according to Matthew 14, 25, it was the fourth watch, which was the last. It was from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. It was the darkest part of the night. Storms happen in the darkest times of our lives. Not only that, but it happened at a time when they had rode to the point in the storm that they had no more strength. So it was at the darkest time of their lives. Uh, metaphorically with the storm. They were at the end of themselves. They were at the end of their strength. And Jesus was not with them. Jesus had went up on this mountain. He had told them to run without him. And here, where is Jesus just when you need them? Now, I don't know about you, but the storms in my life I can relate to. They're dark times. They bring me to the end of my strength. And I don't see God at work real visibly. I wonder where he's at. Now, where did this miracle take place? Notice in your notes, the circumstances are distressing. The timing was distressing. The circumstances. They're trying to get from the eastern shore over to the northwest side of the lake. And the Sea of Galilee at its widest was seven miles, approximately seven miles. The text tells us they had rowed three to four miles. So where are they? They're stuck in the middle. They are stuck in the middle. They've rowed against the wind. And I'm telling you, uh, the ferry ride to Barbuda against the wind is not fun. Much better when you're going with the wind. They're against the wind. They've rowed. They're stuck in the middle. And where are they trying to get to? They're trying to get to Capernaum. That's their headquarters. That's where Jesus' home was during his ministry. So they're stuck in the middle of a storm, and they're trying to get to the other side. They're trying to get home. Can you relate? 
They couldn't go back. They couldn't go forward. That's the way storms are. You're stuck, and you're stuck in the middle. And Jesus comes to them in the middle of the storm, at the darkest hour, walking on the stormy waves. And again, have you ever thought about how, how do you do that? I don't know. You know, I, I wonder, the text literally says he's walking on them, but I think in walking on them, he's, walking, he's having to walk through them. I don't know. I don't know. You know, that's why I told Dan, I said, man, I'm glad you're here. I'm talking a lot about uh, Israel today. He said, what, do you think I understand how Jesus walked on water? I said, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just looking for all the help, man. You know, when you're talking Israel and you got the guy from Israel here in the classroom, you know, you get a little nervous. But uh, Jesus came to them walking on the waves, through the waves. I don't know, but he comes to him in the middle of the storm. Now, who is involved in the, this, this miracle? It's very important for us to understand who's involved. And so, uh, here's the three people that are involved. And it's really kind of two main groups. First of all, the sovereign Savior. The sovereign Savior. Jesus, the all-providing King, who has just fed 20,000 people from five loaves, five little cake wafers, and two little sardine pickled fish. He just fed 20,000, and he refused to become king by force. But he also refuses to always be there when we demand him. This is the all-providing king that doesn't always show up when we want him to. Are you with me? Okay? Because you know what? Just like he won't be a table waiter for the unsaved, guess what? Even for his own people, he doesn't just answer to our demands and our desires. He is sovereign. He's sovereign in how he provides for us, and he's sovereign in how he chooses to rescue us. And that's a real major part of the story. Secondly, the people that are involved are those with saving faith. It's the disciples. No one else knows about this, this, this miracle. It's happening in the storm. They're safe on shore. The unbelievers, the 20,000, they, 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 they're safe on shore. The only people that know about this miracle are the disciples. This is a miracle for those with tw saving faith. They truly believe that Jesus is the sovereign Savior. But just like you and I, they still have a lot to learn about how to trust Him in the midst of storms. You know, it's one thing to know Jesus. It's another, to trust, it's another thing to trust Him in the storm. Can I get a, a head nod on that? Yeah. You know, and that's what the purpose of this miracle is. But there's one more individual there. There is one with no faith. And we don't really know this yet in the Gospel of John. And yet, Jesus tells us this, or John tells us this at the end of this passage. There is one with no faith. Judas is in the boat. He sees this miracle. He's saved by this miracle in the sense of physically saved by this miracle. And yet, He's going to betray Jesus, Jesus who he saw do so much. And he's going to ultimately reject the gospel, the gospel that he heard so often. Again, I told you last week, one of my burdens for you and for our class is listen. This is a danger that we need to be aware of. We can see Jesus do all these miracles. We can hear the gospel over and over, Sunday after Sunday. And yet we can still be unbelieving in our heart. Look at uh, chapter 6, verse 70. Chapter 6, verse 70. Jesus answered them, Did I myself not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil, or more literally, the devil. 
Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. So as we look at this miracle, we have the sovereign Savior, those with saving faith, and yet one who appears to be a believer, but really isn't. Now what's the point of of the miracle? Look at verses 20 through 21. Verses 20 through 21. But he said to them, It is I, literally, I am. I am. Do not be afraid. So they were willing to receive him into the boat. And it's when he got into the lifeboat that immediately the boat was at land to which they were going. Now, as I said, there's like five different miracles in this in this account. Uh, Jesus sees them from a mountaintop in the midst of a storm. That's miraculous. Jesus walks on water. That's what John is focusing on. Peter walks on water. John doesn't even mention that. Jesus calms the storm. The second he gets in the boat, the, the winds stop, according to Mark and Matthew. John isn't concerned about that. What John focuses on is Jesus walked on water, and the second he got in the boat, they were safe to their destination. Now, what what do we need to see from this? Here's what we want to see. We need a miracle when the storms of life threaten the stability of our faith. And so let's take a look at this. Let's look at the sign performed, okay? Let's look at the sign performed. What's the first thing that we see? Is that Jesus is the I am God who draws near in the storms of life to provide for his people. I want you to circle in your notes, draw near and provide. Draw near and provide, because that's the whole story. This is set in the context of the feeding of the 5,000, God's, uh, Jesus' miraculous provision. But the cool thing is, he draws near in the storms of life. And so let's just walk through this miracle And I just want to show you how the I am God draws near to provide. He provides us with six things in our storms. He did it for his disciples. He'll do it for you if you're one of his. Let's take a look at number one. He draws near to provide his providence to govern us. His providence to govern us govern us even in the darkest and most distressing storms. The first thing you need to know when you find yourself in a storm, is that you are governed by God's providence. He is watching over you. He is in control of the chaotic situation. And let me tell you, uh, when you're in the midst of something like this, whether literally on the sea and in a, 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 a sea storm or a storm on water or metaphorically in your own life, it's good news to know what? God's in control. Listen. The storm may have surprised the disciples, but it didn't surprise Jesus. Jesus was the one who had sent them out onto the lake. He told them, look, I want you to go out there. Did Jesus know there was going to come a storm? Yeah. And what's the question become? Why would you send us if you're not? And the point is, hey, I've got this. I'm in control. In Mark 6, 45, it says this. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he himself was sending the crowd away. Now, listen, some storms are due to our own sin. There are consequences for making foolish decisions or, or rebellious ones. 
But other storms are due to following Jesus. They were in the storm because they had been obedient. Are you with me? So let's get rid of the prosperity gospel. Let's get rid of the health and wealth thing that says, if you obey, you'll have a storm-free life. No, the reality is this. If you obey, you very well may uh, 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 go right into a storm. We never enter a storm unless God causes it or allows it. Either way, he's in control of it, and he wants to guide you through it. That is so, so important. You may not see him. It may not feel like he, it may feel like he's very far away, but he sees you in your storm, and he wants to draw near to you. Your storm is not beyond his control. Okay, so let's turn to our neighbor and just say that. Your storm is not beyond his control. Okay, let's... Turn to our neighbor and say that. Your storm is not beyond his control. And I'm telling you, that's good news. Now, that's the first provision. God knew about it. Jesus knew about it. He had it under control. Secondly, he draws near to us in our storms to provide his plan to grow us. His plan to grow us. The reason he allows storms or even causes storms to enter our lives, is because it's a part of His plan to grow us. Even when the storm is at its worst, and you're at your weakest, Jesus is drawing near to grow you according to His plan. Amen? Amen. Listen, the thing we all ask about storms is this. Why? Well, here's your answer. The number one answer is, I'm drawing near to grow you. I'm allowing this to grow you. What is God's plan for you in in, in a storm? He wants to enlarge you, not indulge you. He wants to stabilize your faith, not your circumstances. That's why it's a storm. If he wanted to stabilize your circumstances in life and have a carefree life, but that's not part of his plan because that's not going to grow you. That's not going to grow you. Faith is like film. It's best developed in the dark. I like this poem. Smile with pleasure, she chatted all the way, but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow, and not a word said she, but oh, the things I learned from sorrow when sorrow walked with me. Listen, I have grown, and I have learned, and I have become a better uh, pastor, teacher, human being, husband, father from my suffering, not from my successes. God wants to grow you in the storm. That gives us our third provision, and it's this. Draws near to provide his prayers to galvanize, to galvanize us in our distressing storms. He provides his prayers. Now, this isn't emphasized in John's account. It's emphasized in the other accounts, and it's this. What was Jesus doing on this mountain When they're down there rowing their hearts out and they're stuck in the middle of the storm. Is he playing tiddlywinks? Is he uh, surfing the net? What's he doing up there on the mountain? You know what he's doing? He was praying. And guess what? You know where Jesus is right now? At the right hand of the Father, the highest point in the universe. What is he doing right now? He's praying. He's interceding for us. Listen to Hebrews 7.25. Therefore, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. 
be rest assured. Jesus sees you in your storm and he's praying for you. He's praying for you. And he's praying what? That you will grow. That you will trust his providence. You will grow according to his plan. Listen. He knows that we need what we need in the storm better than we do. And he's asking the Father to give us what we need to galvanize us. Galvanize means to be shocked into action. And that's what storms do. Because you know what we all are like when, as believers? You know what we're like? As long as the sea is calm, what do we, who do we tend to trust in? Ourselves. And what do we tend to do? Just kind of pay lip service to God. And then all of a sudden the storms come, and then what do we do? Man, yeah, we start praying. I mean, all of a sudden, man, we get really, we're galvanized. We're shocked into action. And that's what Jesus is praying for. You see, he sees us. Listen, up on that mountain, Jesus had a perspective they didn't have down on the sea. And Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, and he has a perspective on your life and our life that we don't see. But get this. He sees us in the storm, even though we don't see him. Mark 6.48 says this, Seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them, at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. Listen, he's interceding, he's praying. Here's the fourth provision. Jesus draws near to us in our storms to provide his power to guard us. His power to guard us in our distressing storms. How do we see that in this miracle? What, how does Jesus come to him? He is walking on water. And, and, and we shouldn't say water. That, that's so, you know, and, and whenever the unbeliever puts this in a movie, what is he always walking on? Just calm, he's all walking on a pool, walking on, if you've ever seen the movie Bruce Almighty, I mean, it's always calm. That, this is what he's walking on. He's walking on this. He's walking on the chaos of the storms of life. Why? Because he has power over them. They don't affect him. He's in charge of them. All throughout Scripture, the sea represents chaotic chaos that's out of control, that's rebelling against the Creator. Listen, I don't know if you're watching the news. Things are getting chaotic in our country. Very chaotic. And that we're just seeing the rip. We're just seeing the, the, just the beginnings. But you know what? Jesus is just walking across this country, and he's in control. His power is available to guard his people. Amen? Amen. And that's what he wants us to see. John wants us to focus on what the significance of the sign is. Jesus comes walking on the stormy sea. Perhaps he's even walking through it as well. The point is he has power over the storms of life, over all creation. He spoke it into existence and he can speak it into submission. Listen, if you get nothing else today, get this. When you are in over your heads... Everything is still under his feet. That's the point. That's what's the fifth provision? In Jesus draw nears to us, draws near to us in the storms of life to provide his presence to grace us. His presence graces. Here is how God provides for us in the storm. 
he draws near to offer himself. Isn't that beautiful? He doesn't come with sign, you know, he doesn't come with, with, you know, anything fancy. What does he come with? Me. That's how you get grace. That's how you get the power and desire to carry on in a storm. You let Jesus draw near to you. You draw near to him. The grace is in the person of the I am God. Don't you love what he says? He comes walking on water. There's the power. But then he says, it is I. It's my presence you need. It's my presence you need. And literally, it is I am the great Yahweh of the Old Testament, the I am who I am. He's saying, I am the I am God. And it's my presence that you need. Listen, they, basically what he's saying is, trust me, I've got this. I parted the Red Sea. I helped Joshua cross on dry land. I took down the walls of Jericho with a praise song. I helped David defeat Goliath. Everything you know about the Old Testament, that's who I am. I've got this. Trust me. Trust me in your storm. You see, we have a tendency to treat Jesus like we do NFL kickers. When he kicks it through the uprights, the kicker is the hero. And when he goes far right, he's the zero, right? And we kind of treat Jesus the same way. Jesus, as long as everything's good in my life... You're the hero. But man, the second the storm comes, second things things don't go my way, now forget you. What kind of God are you? We need more than miracles to live on. We need Jesus, the I am God. Sixth provision. Here's the final provision of the I am God in the midst of your storm. He provides His purpose to guide us through our storms. He provides His purpose to guide us through our storm. Now, here's the temptation when you study the, study the gospel accounts. And I've done a little bit of this. We have a tendency to read them all and push all the information into whatever passage we're studying. And there's a place for that, okay? There's a place for that, correlating it all together. But there's also a place of reading the miracle how John wants us to see it. He's not bending the facts. He's just presenting the facts, the same account, in a different way in order to make a different point. And the thing that he emphasizes in this account in John 6 is Jesus shows up. Jesus says, I am. And they say, get in the boat. And the second they're in the boat, it's like Star Trek or something. They're suddenly stuck in the middle anymore, and they're at their destination. Isn't that cool? See, they had set out with a purpose. And Jesus had given them a purpose. And the storm had interrupted that. And they were stuck in the middle. But when we invite Jesus into our lives, when He draws near, and we say, Jesus, get into my life. Get into my lifeboat in the midst of my storm right now. We will achieve, we will be able to accomplish the purpose that He has for us. He will guide us safely to the other side. I think that's tremendous. And if you don't, then you haven't been in a deep deep enough storm yet. You see, it just hasn't been dark enough for you yet. And maybe it has been dark, but you haven't received Jesus into your storm, into your life.
Because there's a point in our lives where we think, I can't take another step. I can't get to the other side. I can't fulfill my purpose in life. I can't fulfill God's purpose in life. I'm not even sure God is paying attention to what's going on. But when we welcome the I am God into our lives, we will reach our destination. We will safely get to the other shore. And your faith will be grown and he will glorify himself. See, here's the idea. When you get to the other side of the storm, Jesus wants you to be able to say, only God could do these things. Only God could have gotten me here. Only God could have done this. And I put my faith on him and he, faith in him and he showed himself great. He showed himself to be the I am God. And I give him the glory to getting me to the other side. Well, that's the sign performed. What's the significance? Man, there's so much here. The significance is explained in this way. And it's really in verses 19 and 20. The whole significance is in 19 and 20. Jesus is the I am God who strengthens and stabilizes our faith in the storms of life. Look at verses 19 and 20 again. Notice what it says. Then when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. Look at what happens. What changes everything is they saw him walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, they saw him and said to them, I am, do not be afraid. That's the significance. So here's how I broke it down. How does the I am God strengthen and stabilize our faith? Let me give you three, three things. This kind of summarizes it. This helped me to put this thing into perspective. Let's look at it. Number one, Jesus graciously permits storms into our lives. You know how God strengthens our faith? He graciously permits storms into our lives. And again, that just answers the question, why is this happening to me? Because God has graciously permitted it. And why does he do it? Well, at least two reasons from this passage. Number one, to test the saving faith of his true followers. To test the saving faith. Why? What did Jesus just done on the shore? What did he just done on the shore? Well, no. He had fed the 5,000, the 20,000 people. Now he's wanting to know, will you now, now that you have seen me feed 20,000 people with five cakes and two fish, are you going to trust me in the storm? And so here's the question I think I have in your notes. Are we learning from what the Lord has done for us in the past? Are we learning? And so the storm comes to see if you're learning what you heard today. So if you get a storm this week, it's to see if you learned from today's lesson. Because it's easy to fill in blanks. Agree? It's easy to trust him now, but you're not in the storm. Are you with me? And remember, this took place during Passover. And our brother Dan here is to explain all that upstairs. But here's the point. Passover isn't just for the Jewish people. Passover is for all of God's covenant people. And have you read your Old Testament? That God is one who can come to us in our storm. So are we trusting and learning from our past? Are we learning from the Old Testament? How many have ever read the Old Testament and said, man, those guys were slow? 
You know, how could you go through the parting of the Red Sea and then complain? How many have thought that? We all think that. Hello? We just read the story. How much did we trust him this week in our storm? Are you with me? That's what he's doing. My storm is a test I can pass by faith, but it has to be faith in Jesus. Number two, he uh, uh, graciously permits it to prove the saving faith of his true followers. In other words, are we willing to persevere in trusting Jesus even when the handouts are over and the storm is still raging? He's proving saving faith because here's saving faith. Saving faith doesn't bug out in the storm. Saving faith doesn't bail out of the boat. You know what saving faith does? It invites Jesus into our lives during the storm. You say, yeah, but what about uh, uh, Judas? He's in there. But listen, here's the thing. This isn't the end of the story yet, right? Peter's going Peter's to deny the Lord. Judas is going to betray. But who repents and who's reconciled at the end of this gospel? This gospel ends in chapter 21 with Peter repenting and being reconciled. Judas refused to repent. He refused to persevere in his storm. And he is suffering the wrath of God today and for all eternity. Here's the point. My storm is a test to prove my faith is real by persevering through the storms with Jesus. Third reason he graciously permits it, to stabilize or strengthen our saving faith. To stabilize or strengthen our faith. Are we prepared to persevere when many who profess Christ fall away? Listen, I think an important part of this miracle is this. Why does it happen in the middle of the feeding of the 5,000? Here's what happens. He feeds 20,000 people. He lets them enter into a storm to test them and to prove their faith. But he also does it to get them ready. Because what's going to happen when they get to the other side? The masses are going to show up and, they're, and he's going to say, and they're going to say, where's the bread? Where's today's handout? And he's going to say, no more handouts. It's me. And what's going to happen to everybody? Those with sign faith bug out. Now, if you're following Jesus because he's Messiah and the masses in Galilee abandon him, is that going to shake your faith? Do you get shaken when seemingly faithful believers bug out and quit? You bet you do. You bet I do. But this was meant to strengthen. Listen, here's why I believe... Peter says what he says after they get to the other side. Look at chapter 6. Jesus said to the 12, after everybody bugs out in verse 66, Do you want to go away also? Verse 68, Simon Peter answered to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You know what part of that, the reason he knew that? Jesus had walked on water. He had walked on water. Yeah, but he fell in. Yeah, but he walked on it. And it strengthened his faith. Are you with me? Listen, the storms make us stronger in our faith in Jesus. And they help us to persevere when others don't. That is so important. Okay, so the significance is Jesus graciously permits them. Here's the other good news. Number two. Jesus draws near to us. Jesus draws near to us. And let me give you two reasons why he does. The first is out of compassionate love. 
out of compassionate love. And let me give you the second reason. Out of covenant loyalty. Out of compassionate love, out of covenant loyalty, Jesus will come to you in the storm. Why do I include things? Because here's the point. On the shore, Jesus had compassion on 20,000 people that he knew were going to walk away from him. That's a compassionate God. I'm not sure I'd be that compassionate. I know what's in your heart. Get away from me. Hey, we do that and we don't even know what's in people's hearts. I know what you're going to do. I know how you're going to respond. Go away from me. You know what? Jesus knows all that about those people, but because he is compassionate to even those who don't believe. Hey, you know what? Every unbeliever that woke up today alive, God showed mercy to. Every believer that had sunshine today and enjoy, well, not today, uh, that had sunshine on today, rain today, God is showing. Listen. If God shows that kind of compassion to people with signed faith, do you think he's going to abandon his 12 or 11 disciples with saving faith in the middle of the storm? You bet he's not. He's got compassion on you that is greater than he has for an unbeliever. But secondly, he's in a covenant relationship with you. He is loyal to you. The I am God does not break promises. Listen, I've said this so many times. And it's all the more relevant today. God, does the I am God, Yahweh of the Old Testament, does not break his promises to Israel. There is a future for Israel. And guess what? If he's going to keep his promises to his covenant people, Israel, who have been so unfaithful, so hard-hearted, so unbelieving, and yet he's going to keep those promises. Listen, he's not going to abandon you as a New Testament believer, he has a cover, he is a promise-keeping God. I love that. So, are you in a storm right now? Look for him. Wait for him. Trust him. Don't jump out of the boat. Don't give up. Don't quit. God will come through, and you will be better for it on the other side. Now, here's the third promise or significance of this uh, of this miracle. Number three, Jesus re- reveals himself. To us in the storms of life. Now listen. Don't miss all this. God graciously. Jesus graciously permits the storm. In our lives for purpose. He draws near to us. Out of compassion. And covenant loyalty. To his people. And he reveals himself to us. In the storms of life. And in this story. He does it two ways. By walking on the instability of the sea, Jesus demonstrated that he is almighty. Listen, Jesus wants to reveal himself to you in the instability of your storm and show that he is almighty in it. Amen? Isn't that good? He walked and they saw. So here's the point for you this morning. My storm is an opportunity for Jesus to show his glory to me in a greater way. That's huge. And you know how he does it? Not just by mighty acts in the ability of life, but number two, by speaking to the distressed disciples, Jesus declared that he is I am. Can you say that with me? He is I am. Let's say it again. He is I am. 
I love it. Here's your storm. He spoke and they heard. Listen, until they saw that he was almighty, until they heard that he was I am, they didn't say, get in my boat. And let me just say something to you. Because, you know, when we're in storms, we start looking for, we, we start looking for uh, life preservers. And not everything that presents itself as a life preserver is a life preserver. And so before you start trusting in anyone or anything in your storm, I ask you to say two questions. Is this almighty and is this the I am God? Right? You've got to see it and you've got to hear it. This is the significance of the sign. The greater glory for Jesus, I am, and greater faith in Jesus, you are. Here's what should happen. He shows himself to be I am, and we should say what? You are. That's it. That's it. That's the idea. Now, how do we strengthen our shaky faith or our unstable faith in the storms of life? You trust the I am God by inviting him into your life, especially during times of suffering and death. Listen, invite him literally. You know, I mean, this thing's just sitting there waiting for us. To make the metaphors. Invite him into your lifeboat. Now how do you do that? Number one. Resist the temptation to panic in the midst of the storm. His providence is governing you. Resist the temptation to panic. The worst time to make life decisions is in the midst of the storm. Don't make them in the valleys. Make them on the mountaintops. Because you you don't have perspective. The pain is too great. The hurt is too great. Don't panic. Resist the panic. Number two, remember, Jesus sends you into the storm to grow you, not sink you. He is there to grow you. You say, what if I mess up? Peter messed up. He fell into the water because he saw the waves, but he walked on water. He grew, and he was never the same. I mean, (laughs) can you imagine? He's probably hard to put up with even after that. You know, they probably had to keep telling him, you sank. Yeah, but I walked. Yeah, but you sank. No, but I walked, you know. Yeah, yeah, you sank. Yeah, but you were in the boat. I was out of the boat. I walked. He was never to be the same. Number three, rejoice that Jesus sees you in the storm and he's praying for you. His prayers will galvanize your faith. You will be stronger for this. There is hope on the other side. Number four, rest in the promise of his powerful presence. When the nights are darkest, the storm is strongest, and you are at his weakest. Rest that he is there even though you cannot see him. And let me tell you, the only way that you are going to do that is to be in this book. Because that's where you hear him say, it is I, I am. Listen, you don't find this on television, you don't find this on the internet, you don't find this in in self-help books, you find it in the living word of the living God who comes to you through this book, who is praying for you from the throne of heaven, and who is telling you that I want to show myself great, I am, so that you can say, even in the storm, you are, you are. And then finally, recommit to learning how Jesus satisfies our hearts even when the handouts are over and the storm is raging. Listen, here's the prayer that we'll end with. Lord, calm my heart whether you calm the storm or not. Calm my heart 
whether you calm the storm or not. Either way, I trust you are with me and you will get me to the other side. And Lord, on the other side, you will show me your glory and you will show that Jesus is I am. And Lord, on the other side, you will strengthen my faith so that I can say to Jesus, you are. Man, this is good stuff. Let's pray. Father, we're here and uh, storms are real. They're distressing. In my life, they're distressing in the lives of people. It doesn't matter whether it's health diagnosis, emotional distress. It doesn't matter what it is. You draw near. And we need to see you for the great I am God. I am so thankful for what we're about to learn upstairs because we're going to be reminded again that the Old Testament and the New Testament are one story. We're going to be reminded that the Jesus of the New Testament is the Son of the Father in the Old Testament. We're going to be reminded, Lord, that the great I Am is our Savior and He is sovereign over the storms of life. Lord, I pray that those who are in storms right now would be comforted and would take this lesson, weep over it, pray over it, meditate on it, get into the Word and realize you are our life preserver. You are our rescue. And we need you even in the storms, out of the storms. We need you all the time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.